Hey everyone, welcome back to Marvelous Geeks. I'm Gisana Sophia, and I'm here with Katie and Heather today. Guys. Hi everybody. Hello. And for all of you who know, Katie is the head writer of Nerdy Girl Notes, and Heather is the head writer of TV Examined. And we've been doing end-of-the-year reviews for I don't know how many years now, I lost count. But we decided that because this year is so strange and he's been strange that we are going to combine forces and do an episode with favorite. So just to kick off, though, did you guys watch anything new that is not new for everybody else, but is new for you? I watched, like, three shows during quarantine that were, like, from early 2000s. <laughs> yes, you did. I did. <laughs> I got many texts. <laughs> um, For me, I have not watched anything new that was, like, completely finished pre-2020. It was more of, like a catch-up on things that were either finishing or airing in 2020. So I don't have anything that I dug back in the archives for. Heather? I think the closest I got was Watchmen, as I finally Uh got around to it, which was great, but still fairly recent. (laughs) Yeah. 2019. Okay, so I'm the only one that, like, went back in time (laughs) to uh, Alias, which... I was harassing Katie. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I watched the original Roswell. But anyway, (laughs) let's get into this year then. Um, So the first off is going to be the best characters of 2020. And Katie's going to kick that off for us. Ooh, awesome. All right. So I will start with my number three choice so that we can build up to number one um, because I like to surprise people. Um, my number three choice is Kevin Pearson on This Is Us. Um, I feel like that might be an unpopular choice as far as This Is Us goes because it's usually like, yay, Randall, he's the best. But the last two seasons, Randall has sometimes been kind of the worst. So I feel very strongly in characters who develop over time. Characters who maybe at the beginning you're like, this person is a jerk or this person is the worst and then they become not the worst. And that is Kevin Pearson in a nutshell. And in 2020, his arc just completely developed in a way that was like, this is why he is the way he is. Like, this is why it explored his relationship with his father more and the fact that, you know, he felt, I think, more pressure than the other Pearson siblings to sort of live up to an ideal that maybe he was never going to reach. He, we learned relatively recently that he deals with a lot more body image issues being an actor and even before that being a football player than we learned about him previously. So he is one of my favorite characters this season because it was, we sort of took a deeper dive into his character and we sort of explored the fact that he might actually be the deepest Pearson sibling in terms of the stuff that he is continuing to deal with. And I like getting to mind that in that character more than just a pretty face, although the face is very pretty as well. Very interesting. (laughs) 
I haven't watched this season, so I have no clue. Well, the last two. I will say they're not as good as the previous season, <laughs> so it's okay. But Kevin, one of the reasons he made my list is I feel like his story was always one when I knew that they were going to focus on it, that it was actually going to surprise me and interest me. So for my first choice, I am going with an oddball. I am going to go with Darren Ritter from Chicago Fire. I love my Chicago Fire characters. I have been with them since the pilot. Darren is fairly new, but I feel like he represents something very different for the firehouse. You know, it's a firehouse. It's fairly rooted in, like, traditional masculinity. There's a whole lot of, like, gender norms going on, and he wants to be different. He feels like he is representing a new way of doing things. He's going to be the one to call out all of the like subtly sexist nonsense that all of his other co-workers might be saying he will push back on it he just has a good heart he's the one who's the first to volunteer to help out and i really appreciate what the show is doing with him and i never know how much is the writing and how much is what daniel curie is bringing to the role but either way i love it i want to keep him forever and now he just needs to be happy and get his own storyline outside of the firehouse love it Mine, mine's a fairly popular character, but if we're going with the thirds, it's Eleanor Shellstrop from The Good Place. Love I, that. we just, we only got three episodes. Was it three episodes or two episodes for the end? And Eleanor's arc just broke me, especially in the last episode, wanting to hold on to good things because you finally have good things and wanting to make people happy for them to stay with you it it just it felt so human especially in the last episode and finally being able to let go it was just I always love that in a character that didn't even want anything in the beginning when they come to that place where they find things that are just hard to let go and they're gonna do things to hold on even if it means the other person might not be happy about it so for me that was Eleanor she I never expected to love her this much. I loved all the other characters in the beginning, but Eleanor, I was like, I know I'm eventually going to love you, but I didn't think I'd love her this much. That's such a good choice. I feel like I'm going to continue to ride the female character train now because my number two choice is Lucy Chen from The Rookie. Um I am an extrovert. Anyone who follows me on social media knows <laughs> that I'm an extrovert. Like, I am the extrovertiest of the extroverts. And what I love about Lucy Chen is I feel like she is one of the few extroverts on television who is portrayed correctly. Like, Lucy gets energy from being around people. Lucy cares about people. She wants to talk. But she doesn't want to talk because she just likes the sound of her own voice, which I feel like is how a lot of extroverts are portrayed on TV. She wants to talk because that is how she processes things. She processes them by hearing what other people have to say and working through her feelings. And I have loved watching her deal with it. She went through an incredibly traumatic experience this season. And we actually got to see her work through that, which on a lot of procedurals is like, something bad happens to this character. The next episode, it is forgotten about. But Lucy actually gets to work through it. And she gets to have people help her through it. And we get to see her talk about it. We get to see her talk about how it affects her mental health because she has a psych degree. So she understands that to some degree. We get to see her talk about how it affects her dating life. We get to see her talk about how it affects her in so many different ways. 
And in her being open, she sort of inspires the other people around her to be more open, which I think is just like the best possible way to show that like, not all extroverts are just like self-centered people who just want to like hear the sound of their own voice. They want to like connect with other human beings. And in a year where connection has been really important, I feel like she was a character that I sort of gravitated towards and being like, oh, someone like me who really likes to connect with other people just for the sake of connecting with other people and getting to do that in a way that not only makes her better, but makes other people around her better. And I just love her. She's the cutest. She is sunshine. And on procedural shows, like we all need that sunshine character that is like, oh, you, you are the one. You are mine. I'm going to hold you forever. Like I knew that from the pilot. And the fact that she got to be sort of the focal point of the second half of season two was something I did not expect to happen and something I was really glad to have in 2020. Funny thing is, I don't even watch that show, but you can just tell looking at her that she is the character that you're going to love. Mm-hmm. Just with gifts, just with trailers, anything, you know she's the character you're going to love. She's the best, and I'm glad the show is figuring that out now. <laughs> she really is the best. So we're going to continue the female love. And my second choice is Davy Vishwakumar from Never Have I Ever, who is so difficult (laughs) and I love her for it (laughs) she is so determined not to feel any emotions or to process any of her trauma and it backfires on her spectacularly and I just love her for it so much (laughs) it's so relatable I was like what if I just don't deal with anything ever that's that's a good response right (laughs) so she was one of those overly relatable very difficult characters But she gets to grow. She gets to be wrong. She gets to learn that, you know, maybe she does actually need to address the fact that her dad died in front of her in a very public setting and that it had effects on her, that maybe there was more to life than, you know, dating the cute boy and seeing her develop and go through that and seeing what that's going to mean for next season where she ends up in the finale is really exciting to me to kind of hopefully get to see her grow and work through her things a little bit more um and this the thing with this year though is that my most anticipated shows come out next week and i hate it when they do this because at least last year when they released shows like Mrs. Maisel and all these other things, you're able to binge them. But now they're releasing The Expanse episode by episode. And Heather knows this, but I love James Holden with my heart and soul. So I know he's going to be my favorite character this year too, but I don't have him. So we're going with David this year. David Rose from Schitt's Creek. And I just from I love David from the beginning like as annoying as he was I just I loved him because he was so stupidly relatable but this year and just everything that he went through with wanting to stay is not something I expected from David I expected him to be the want to leave but for him to not only find happiness but to and Katie said it best in her latest article which you all need to read even though it was centered around Stevie but still the way that David explored his vulnerability with Patrick and accepting that somebody can love him as he is and somebody that doesn't have to change much of who he is he just has to try a little bit more and work harder and do all these things and do it in Schitt's Creek like that's what shocked me so much about David that it 
really became about the human connection that he built and staying in this town and just the, I, we'll get into the, like, I, I, I love him. I love him so much. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm very excited because I am going to just continue the Shit's Creek train. Um, I am going to talk about Alexis Rose. She is my favorite character on TV this season. She has, I continue to say it, I think the best and most interesting character arc I've ever seen in a TV comedy because it does not go the way you think it's going to go. And I have found that to be so rewarding. I am currently on a second binge watch through the whole series, this time with my family. I did it all by myself earlier this year. And watching her story, and especially watching her story in season six, is so rewarding because it's about learning to stand on your own two feet. And Alexis is a character who, for so much of her life, every single crazy story she tells about her past (laughs) is always somehow connected to a guy. Everything about her was defined by her relationships with men or her, you know, brushing off men or rejecting this famous guy or whatever. But in season six, we watch her come to the realization that she can't do what she did with Stavros or any other number (laughs) of guys. She can't just leave her entire life and devote it to this person in a world where she's not going to be happy. And I think that it's so interesting to watch her accept the fact that like she has a good life now on her own. She has everything she never knew she always wanted. She has a really awesome foundation for a career. She has good relationships with her family now. She has friends who are actually nice and good people. And watching her have the inner strength to say, like, I love you, Ted, but I have to stay here and you have to do this. I'm not going to be selfish and ask you to come back for me. I'm not going to try to manipulate this situation in the way Alexis would have in the past. But it's saying, I have come this far as a person. I know myself. I know what I need. I know what you need. And I also know that that doesn't mean we don't love each other. It just means that we need different things. And the maturity that that takes to say that, like, I don't even know if me as a, you know, even older than Alexis adult would have the maturity to be able to say that with the calm and the confidence that she said it in this like season. I think she is just incredible. I could watch her. I could watch Andy Murphy read the phone book, basically. I think she's mm-hmm. incredible as well. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that she can balance that cute little, like, boop side of her character with this incredible depth that she really found this season, especially, like, starting with Presidential Suite to the end. It was so inspiring to me to watch as someone who always wants to champion female characters who stand on their own two feet, but also do acknowledge that, like, relationships are important. So Mm. she's the best, and I love her. (laughs) I agree. So I was going to pick Alexis, but I was never going to talk about her better than Katie. So (laughs) I've gone with a nostalgic choice. (laughs) So I was a huge Babysitter's fan growing up. And so I'm going to go with my favorite from way back in my teenage days, or probably I guess before my teenage days, is Marianne Spear. I have always been a Marianne. I know it. (laughs) 
I am the shy person who would much rather follow much louder people around. <laughs> and the way that they evolved her character for the reboot, and it gave her those moments where she got to be mature and stand on her feet and fight for other people and never losing sight of who she was, even as she grew and got to push her boundaries a little bit more and become a stronger, more confident person by the end of the season was everything I would have loved to see as a little girl. And so, therefore, she has to be my number one pick because it's still something that I want to see as a 32-year-old woman. <laughs> Hard agree. Babysitter's Club was the one of the unexpected joys this year. And going off of that, my number one character is from a show that I wish I had as a kid as well, uh, is Julie Molina from Julie and the Phantoms. I was so... I, you guys, I'm, I kid you not, I was expecting to tell my friends that I did not like this show. Like, I was expecting to break their hearts when they recommended it to me. But from the very first episode, I was in awe of this little girl. She, to lose your mother at such a young age where you need her the most and to really break from it. She's a kid that goes to therapy. She's a kid that is really exploring the trauma because her family is supporting her healing process and to have all of that and to be the friend that she is to to help people the way that she does to to really grieve and to really fall apart but also to sing the way she does which is just unbelievable but having characters like this where they go through something dark and we get to watch them go through that trauma, but also to see a woman who is Puerto Rican as the lead, which is not something that we have seen as kids growing up. And so I just, I am in awe of her and I will also talk about Madison Reyes in my performances, but this show is just truly so special. And this character took my heart and ran with it basically. So we're on performances now. Ooh, all right. My number three performance is someone who is only in one episode of a show in 2020, but I feel like she made such a huge impact in surprising me in a really good way, and that is Rosario Dawson on The Mandalorian as Ahsoka Tano. I pre- pandemic was binge watching the animated Clone Wars series at the gym and once everything sort of happened my brain went you can't watch anything that you used to watch pre-pandemic so I put that and Schitt's Creek for a time on hold and after watching her in that one episode of The Mandalorian I have now watched like eight to ten more episodes of Clone Wars because it was like oh I have to dive back in because she's so good at capturing what Ahsoka has been through. And I was not sure I was going to like it. In fact, when they initially announced her casting, I was dead set against it. I'm a huge Ashley Eckstein fan. Like, I thought her voice work as Ahsoka was incredible. I met her at Star Wars Weekends in Disney World. Like, I am a huge Ashley Eckstein fangirl. I was blown away from the moment Rosario Dawson came out with those lightsabers, her voice, her mannerisms, everything, the way she brought a gravitas to that character who has gone through so much. And like 
I feel like because it happened on the animated series and not in the movies, like we don't talk about the trauma that this character is carrying with her and the disillusionment that this character is carrying with her and the loss that this character is carrying with her that everything that Anakin went through and she watched it happen, everything that happened with the rest of the Jedi, everything that happened with her personal experiences with the Jedi, she is older and wiser and broken in a lot of ways, but she is still incredibly strong. And you felt that in the 35 minutes that we got with her. And I was incredibly impressed with the fact that even in a simple line delivery, like when she talks about what attachment can do to the best of us, and you see it in her face that she is talking about Anakin, and it just breaks you because in one line delivery, you're like, that is decades of you thinking about what happened to this person that you were close to and it was so impressive to me and I'm very excited that I now get to talk after the you know Disney call about the fact that she's getting her own show and I cannot wait for more people to get to discover her performance to get to discover more about this character who because she's like a tiny fierce little Jedi has always been someone that I like hold close to my heart and if we are continuing to talk about you know female characters we wished we had when we were younger. I always gravitate towards Star Wars characters. And the more women in Star Wars, the better. And the more women played by awesome actresses, the better. So she is one of my favorite performances this year. I'd agree. Mm-hmm. I think I you think just convinced just me to watch Ahsoka when it comes out. Yes, please <laughs> someone do. who has very little attachment to this, that particular era of Star Wars. <laughs> but you sold it very well. <laughs> So my first, or I guess my third pick for performances is Melissa Barrera from Viva. She has, everyone on this show is amazing. It's just an incredibly talented cast and writing crew and everyone. But for two, or I guess for three seasons, she has been the person who, much like Alexis, is learning to stand on her own two feet. And she's finally found something that she wanted to fight for. And the way that she that Melissa portrayed the loss of realizing that the guy that she thought was going to be the answer to all of her questions and the one to kind of give her new direction in life was not going to be that. That she was better off on her own. She was better off investing in the bar with her sister and the strength that she showed while still getting to be vulnerable really stood out for me in what was not its strongest season, but was probably her strongest performance. I loved getting to see her reconnect with her father and the heartbreak. There is a moment where her father is as terrible as everyone has always told her that he was. And he lets her down so spectacularly. And the combination of heartbreak on her face and immediate desire to protect her sister just comes across so beautifully. And I don't think it would have if it was played by anyone else. Love that. My third choice is actually Annie Murphy. I I didn't let myself believe that the Emmys would actually be decent this year and that they would actually give her the credit she deserves because Alexis is easy to not like and easy to be frustrated with. And that's all a testament to how much she has done with this character. It's not easy to go from being that shallow to, as Katie mentioned, being someone who cares so much. And that's something that is so 
obvious in a little boop. Like, it's such a small thing that she did. But if it was anyone else, would it have come off that way? Probably not. And that's the thing with Annie Murphy. She is the character that has made me cry the most this year. Anytime she's on screen, I'm bawling. Especially after, was it episode six? Or after the Ted episode. After that, I'm just a wreck. And in the final episode, the way she just walks up to Moira and says, you know, I love you, right? Like, it's little moments like that that are so simple. And she conveys it in the Alexis fashion. But it's still, you can see her, not, you can see her heartbreak inside. Because this is actually so sad for her. She doesn't want to leave her family. She doesn't want to leave her brother. But this is it for her. Like, she has to chase her dreams. But she's actually, for the first time, really wanting to continue being with these people and she's appreciating them and every single time she would just look at someone you saw it in her face you saw it in her eyes especially with David and that's just a testament to Dan Levy and Annie Murphy and their relationship that they have but every single time they looked at each other I was like they are siblings they love each other and they would kill for each other and I was just you had told me in the beginning her performance would be the one I would love more than Catherine O'Hara's, who is an icon. I would be like, okay. But that's the thing. We know Catherine O'Hara is an icon. We know she has a wide range of emotions that she can always play on and she can snap her finger and be somebody else. But Annie Murphy is the star of the show that just took me by surprise. I love that one and I'm really excited because she was on my like potential list to talk about and I'm so glad that you talked about it because I don't think I could have ever said it better than that so you that makes have. me really That's excited. Um, I My second choice for performances this year is Uzo Aduba as Shirley Chisholm on Mrs. America. She broke my heart in like a million pieces in not a ton of screen time but just enough to absolutely destroy me while also like being a performance I think about now because we actually get to see a woman of color as vice president of the United States. So I'm sure that is, you know, influencing this pick to some degree because the night that Kamala Harris gave that speech, my first thought was about Shirley Chisholm. And I think some of that is because Uzo Duba's performance really like inspired me to learn more about this woman. And I knew some things about her going in and I knew that she, you know, had mounted the first, you know, campaign by an African-American woman for president, first campaign by a woman. It's incredibly impressive what she did and we're really not taught enough about her. I would stand on that soapbox forever. But um, but watching the fact that so many other women in the feminist movement did not support her because they knew she didn't have a shot. And watching Uzo Aduba's performance of Shirley Chisholm standing her ground and saying basically, somebody has to do it first. And the delivery of that line, I just couldn't stop crying. Like the first time I watched it, I couldn't stop crying. I can't, I'm like gonna cry talking about it now because I think about the fact that like, we have this groundbreaking woman who is going to be in the second highest position of power in the United States. 
And it's because of this woman who came before her and the performance of Uzo Aduba and the fact that she had this sort of conviction and a very righteous fury about the fact that she was the right choice for that moment. She was the right person. They were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. The feminist movement was gaining steam. And because intersectionality wasn't a thing yet, there were so many women who were like, well, we can't, I don't know, like we can't do that. And watching her heartbreak upon realizing that she was going to have to step down and she was going to have to set that dream aside. And yet she was going to devote the rest of her career to helping other women. And we got to see little glimpses of that through the rest of the show was so beautiful to me because she brought, you could tell how much Uzo Duba cared about getting this woman right. And everything from her look to the way she spoke, it was pitch perfect. And Mrs. America had so many wonderful performances in it. But that is the one that at the end of the day, I walk away from going like, I it's I watched that show in March and April, and I can't stop thinking about her performance at the end of the year. Choice is Sendhil Ramamurthy from Never Have I Ever. I have been a fan of him since Heroes in like 2008-ish, whenever that show came out. And I think he is the greatest. I think he is a wonderful person. He just seems like a very sweet man. And I don't think that Never Have I Ever would have worked as well without him, even though his character is dead. (laughs) We only ever see him in flashbacks and in like ghostly reimaginings in Davy's mind. But he just has such a warmth and you understand why he was such an important person to this family. There is this joy that comes from him and this warm accepting energy. And you see why that was so important for Davy, who is difficult. It was someone to love her unconditionally, to support her no matter what, to think she was the greatest person in the world. And to capture that in such small moments scattered throughout the season and to have made such a big impact on the show, despite the fact that, you know, he's barely in it, uh, was very impressive to me. And I'm very excited that he's finally getting some of the love that I think he's deserved for years. Love it. Clearly, I need to watch the show. (laughs) So my second choice is Paul Mezcal from uh, Normal People. And yeah, have any of you seen it? I no. am not because I didn't want to be depressed, but I know. Fair enough. I, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but that's the reason because we do not get to see, and maybe we did in a character like Kevin, I'm not sure, but we we generally don't get to see a man's anxiety and a man's depression, and especially a younger man. You know, maybe we might see it in older adults late in certain shows, but to see it in a man in his early 20s is very rare, especially on TV and especially in real life. I feel like we we don't get to see that portrayal of what it's like to have anxiety, to need therapy, to have panic attacks, to break down. And from the beginning, you know, he encapsulates this this shyness that's also masked with popularity and so much of his the, the character's personality comes out when he is with the girl, uh, Marianne. But so much of his performance is just one scene that is so heartbreaking and so distressing that I, like, because we've seen it more, I feel like, with women, 
and because we are women and we know what that's like, but to actually see a man break down like that was very distressing is I've never seen that. And again, especially a younger man, especially a man who has popularity, who's loved and for him to come out and say that like he can't handle it and for him to need somebody by his side, it was just beautiful and he did such a great job of really mastering that pain that I feel like could have been very easily overdone but he was building up to it so well and by the time we got to his breakdown it worked and then his final moment of accepting his situation and accepting what needs to happen he just he blew me away I was very surprised by him and it definitely ends I will say it's sad, but it's a hopeful sad. It didn't, like, destroy me. Well, that is good to know because I keep wanting to watch it, but I keep worrying that it's going to just, like, completely break me. But it's good. I like hopeful sad is very much in my wheelhouse. So I can I feel like I can work with that. (laughs) So that makes me excited because maybe I'll pick that one up soon. Um, My number one performance of the year is a performance I wasn't expecting to talk about at all. And then when I looked back on the year, I realized that this character made me cry more than anybody else. And that is Eugene Levy as Johnny Rose. I, everything about him in this last season was just, every episode was more emotional than the last. And he was not the character I was expecting to like, make me break down I'm a David Rose fangirl for life like I in the earlier seasons it was always David who would make me cry and then this season happened and I don't know if it is because no one has a softer face when they decide that they want to be soft than Eugene Levy but there's something about his face that just exudes like soft, warm dad energy. And it's so good because he can both be incredibly funny and be incredibly sweet because you need him as that sort of sweet, stable center of this absolutely insane family. And I think back to like these really small moments that just absolutely got me like the episode where he's talking to David and they're, you know, planning the the food that they're going to have at the reception. And for the most part, it's played for laughs. And then there's the moment where Johnny is talking to Stevie about what he originally had planned for if David ever got married. And just the sense of loss and the sense of guilt and the sense of I can't give my son that anymore just wrecked me in a way I was not expecting to be wrecked. And then it just continues. It continues with his reaction to what Alexis is going through and the fact that he finally gets to sort of be the supportive dad that he never got to be before. And then it keeps going with, you know, the pitch that he gives and the fact that it's coming from this place of like absolute love and acceptance of this is what his life has been and the journey that it takes for him to go from, you know, where he was in the pilot to so proudly talking about living in a hotel and being proud of the life that he has built was so glorious. And then they get that big win and it is on his face at the end. And every beat of the last episode and watching his face through the wedding and the fact that the last sort of 
face that we see on that show is him looking out of the car window with this like love and pride and also sort of this glint of like laughter because this is, you know, it's always going to be crazy because it's Schitt's Creek and it's, you know, it's his town and he loves it. It's the, the set of eyes that like we as an audience have always connected to the most, I think are Johnny's because he is the most stable person out of all of them. And the fact that it's that set of eyes that is like sort of the emotional core of those last few episodes, because he reacts in an emotional way to everything that's going on around him is so beautiful. And no one could have played it like Eugene and not just because like he has that emotional connection to his actual son who is, you know, on this show. And the fact that like, anytime he looks at David with pride, I'm like, well, that's Eugene looking at Dan and now I'm going to cry again. Like it's fine. But I just adore him, and I love the fact that it was sort of a performance that I wasn't expecting to wreck me as much as it did. Those are always my favorites. <laughs> I'm so glad both of you talked about Shit's Creek, because I suspected you would, so I'd let me pick other people. <laughs> because this cast deserves all the love. <laughs> so my first choice is Justina Machado. I am you know, going to champion her forever. And since I don't get to do it for one day at a time after this year, I'm going to take the opportunity to do it now because she is the emotional core of that show. She always has been. And even in just six episodes, not a lot happened, but she can do everything. She does comedy. She does drama. She is just wonderful. Everything about her is perfect, but also I am going to talk about her Dancing with the Stars performance (laughs) because... Everything about her just exuded joy. She put so much into everything that she did, and regardless of the style of dance, was always some of my favorite performances to watch. It does not matter what the choreography looked like, or even if I was attached to anything about it, there is this joy and this centeredness that comes from her that just makes her very engaging to watch. And I just think she deserves all of the love. And I'm now I am just get, get to be mad forever that she didn't win an Emmy. I would agree. Uh, my first choice is Madison Reyes, plays Julie Molina on Julie and the Phantoms. She is, she's only 16. She might be 17 now. I'm not positive. But this was her first performance. And I, and I did not know that. So when I was told that this was her first performance, I was like, wait, what? And I went back and I watched the pilot. And this girl, not only can she sing... Like, the first time she opens her mouth to sing, it's just waterworks. Because she has such a strong, beautiful voice. But the emotions she's able to convey while she's singing. Because the thing is, with with song, you're obviously conveying emotions. But they're not yours in a TV show. So it's one thing for her to, you know, have her own emotions and performing her own original music. Because it's hers. But it's another to be able to convey those emotions of a character in song. And then take all those emotions and work with them in her everyday life and channeling this character's depression and the moments where she gets a really big high because she's happy and the love for her friends that she's able to project is so transparent that I I, I could not believe it. I was like, this is a lie. How is this one of her first performances? Like she is performing like she has been since she was a kid, someone who is, you know, destined to be a Catherine O'Hara because that's how great she is. And so I just, I was 
stunned. Like every single time she opened her mouth, I was like, how, how, how are you this young and this good? And she, uh, with her family, she's just, I, I can't even like, maybe if it wasn't, I would be able to say more, but I'm just genuinely so stunned by how well she's able to hold her own with, um, Carlos Ponce who plays her father and he's been in so many roles prior and we all love him. He has, he kind of has a Johnny Rose dad look in his eyes now. And so, but this girl, she's just, she's a star. And she's she's going places if she wants to. Of course, she can decide no. But if she wants, she's going places. She's she's got the chops. Uh, do we go platonic or romantic relation first? Ooh, I mean, either one works for me. I can you know I can dive into either one. I feel like uh, I feel like platonic is always a good place to start because then you can you can build up to the the big stuff the big (laughs) shipper craziness um platonic I my number three platonic relationship I'm going to sort of go off of Heather's train of thought and talk about dancing with the stars um I am going to talk about uh the absolutely perfect pair that is Johnny Weir and Britt Stewart um I love people who support each other, like completely and fully and you be you and I will be there for you every step of the way. And anyone who knows Johnny Weir knows that Johnny is Johnny. Like that is who he is. Do not try to change him. Do not try to, you know, fit him in a nice, neat little box that never worked in figure skating. It's not going to work on the dance floor. Watching Brit, who was a new choreographer, completely, you know, trying this for the first time, match a style of dancing that I've been watching Dancing with the Stars for like decades, I guess now. Like it's been on for I don't know how long, but I've been watching it since the first season and watching this version of ballroom dancing that completely dropped the like, you have to be perfectly masculine and like you have to be you know like the man and she's the woman and like it's this you know very traditional gender roles and instead she sort of went you want to dress like Amy Winehouse for your quick step to Valerie sure like that's what we're gonna do and guess what I'm gonna make it the best dance of the night that night like watching as someone who has been a choreographer for many years, watching someone be that inspired by the person that they're working with was really beautiful, but also watching these two people become friends along the way through this completely new experience for both of them and bringing out the best in each other was really lovely to see. And as someone who watched a lot of trash reality shows this season, and watched a lot of like really horrible relationships between people. It was really nice to watch one on a reality show that was uplifting and supportive and lovely. Love it. They were amazing. And I'm very glad that you picked another Dancing with the Stars <laughs> choice. So my number three pick is a group because if anyone has ever read my year end reviews for relationships, you know, I love a good group. <laughs> and so we're going to kick things off with the Babysitter's Club as a whole. Because this friendship is so good and felt so real for the age that they are. 
they are supportive, they get in fights, they have different personalities and, and disagree on things. Sometimes Christy is overbearing. Sometimes we try to introduce new friends and it scares people. <laughs> but through it all, we just get to see this core of these are the people that they have, have chosen as theirs. And they are going to be there for each other no matter what. And to, to find that so young, I think, is something really special. We, we don't really push that idea. It's you have one best friend and that's it. But on this show, you can see even if there is someone that you are closer to, that doesn't mean that the other relations, relationships in your life aren't valuable. That you might talk all the time, you might have almost nothing in common, but as long as you're there for each other, you care about each other, that is what matters. That is the whole heart of this show, and it's just perfect to me. Hard to agree. I, I hate this category so much right now because, again, all of the choices I know that are going to be top on my list do not come out until later. So it would be from The Expanse or Bridgerton. But I don't have any of those. So it's very hard for me to actually choose these. But my last one, uh, well, third one, I would go with uh, Mando and Baby Yoda. I'm not calling him his name. I just, I can't. It's Baby Yoda. Oh, good. Because I can't use it either. <laughs> This, this is the heart of the show. Their relationship, this bizarre founded family of a father and son or alien son, whatever he is, is the heart of the show. And it's just, it's very hard for me to watch The Mandalorian right now because some of the setting is very warlike and that's just not where my head's at, especially with what's happened these uh, past months. But there, anytime there's a scene with them, that softness, that I do not understand how a man in armor is able to just pick up this this thing and make you feel so hard for how much they love each other and how much they will both protect each other because Baby Yoda's got power and, you know, Mando will do anything in his power to protect him. So it's just, it's this... It's the heart of the show, as strange as it is, and it deserves... If it's the only reason you're watching it, that's completely valid. <laughs> like, because it's, it's just, it's, I don't even words. It's so precious and pure. <laughs> yeah. Um, that makes me really happy that you talked about it because to be completely honest, for some weird reason that did not cross my mind to include on this list. And then as you were talking, I was like, but I love them. So I'm really <laughs> glad that you talked about it. Um, my next choice is one that I actually kind of forgot this show aired in 2020 because it like a lot of it aired pre-pandemic, but it is Amy Santiago and Rosa Diaz on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, not only because it is very rare that we get to see two Latina women interact with each other, but it's still very rare that we get to see two people with personalities as different as Amy and Rosa's interact in a way that is like, not just like, oh, opposites attract as friends kind of thing, but as a, we actually use our different strengths to bring different things to this relationship and to help each other in ways that the other person needs because they don't, you know, Amy doesn't necessarily have Rosa's complete, you know, toughness and not caring about what anybody thinks and Rosa doesn't have Amy's sense of discipline like they're very different people and instead of that leading to conflict most of the time that leads to them making each other better people and I 
was so happy that Rosa was the character who was there with Amy through the whole labor and near delivery of that baby before Jake got there. I loved it because in a lot of ways, my little sister is a Rosa and I am an Amy. And watching the fact that Rosa was like, I do not want to see this baby. I don't want to look at this page in this book. I don't want to know what that is. Feels so realistic to how people actually are with each other. And I love the fact that their relationship has always felt like a very real female friendship in that it's not like, rainbows and sunshine and we go get you know tea with each other and like we paint each other's nails and like sometimes female friendships especially female friendships at work are just like we hang out here we have each other's back through everything but we're not gonna like let's go get drinks with the girls like no that doesn't always happen in female friendships but that doesn't make them any less valid or any less like your work friends who you sometimes don't necessarily like they're not your bff or your what like they are just as important a part of your life as anybody else is. And they are just as important a part of your sort of found and built family as anyone else is. And I love the fact that these two characters have sort of found a chosen sister in each other. And it makes me very happy that in one of the most important parts and times in Amy Santiago's life, she got to have Rosa by her side through it. See, I did forget everything about Brooklyn Nine-Nine this past season. <laughs> So I'm very excited that you talked about them because I do love them a lot. So I finally get to talk about Shit's Creek. My pick for number two is Alexis and Twyla. And Twyla is just such a good person. She is so grounded and so sure of herself in a way that Alexis never has been, but she's also the most supportive friend in the whole world. Because no one else is going to sign up to a cult knowing that it's a cult, just so that your friend has someone on her side. <laughs> and <laughs> no matter what is going on, Twyla will show up for Alexis. And and seeing Alexis learn how to do the same thing for Twyla and to give her that really beautiful advice about choosing something that makes her happy and inspiring her to buy the cafe and watching the way that this thing that just started as something of convenience and because Twyla is an angel who will talk to everyone. <laughs> No, uh, grow into something real and meaningful that feels like it'll last beyond the boundaries of the show. We know that, that Twyla's going to go see Alexis in New York, and it's going to be a strange experience for her. But this time it's going to be Alexis that's going to get to kind of show her how everything works and to be there with her on that journey and as, as they continue to grow as people. And that kind of lasting sense of their friendship is, I think, my favorite thing is because sometimes shows end and characters are like, oh, sure, we're separating, but we'll see each other again. And you're like, no, you really won't. <laughs> it's like, if we ever flash back from the future, come back from the future, you're not going to know each other anymore. But it seems like these two would. And I just really love that for both of them. I love seeing them become a little bit more like each other in all of the best ways. Hard agree. And I'm going to take that train and go on the Rose family. Just the whole dynamic of the show is the reason I love it so much is because families families are not expected to get along. Like, yes, you love these people, but do you 
place where you're just like, wow, I actually love you. Like, not everybody does. And I feel like, especially with the way this show started, if all of these characters went their separate ways, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not surprised that happened. But it didn't. And the way that they learned to love each other and to love Stevie and to love Patrick and to just... Again, it it all comes back to that final episode and how it's portrayed. The way that Stevie is crying for David, the way that Patrick is just completely um, accepted by this family and how much they love him, that he is their son-in-law, that this is the one that's entering into their family. The way that the whole town comes together to give these people the wedding of their dreams. And uh, it's just everything about this stupid town and the way that it brought this family together. And again, how much they love each other in their own weird way. Like Moira not being able to say, okay, Alexis, like I love you too. Like it's just, but you know she does because she's sitting there trying so hard not to sob at what her daughter is saying to her. And they just... They are they are my heart and soul. Like this this family is they're everything. Well, I'm very excited because I get to continue the Shit's Creek uh, <laughs> train here and the Rose family train because my choice is David and Alexis Rose as my number one platonic relationship of the year. I am very picky with sibling relationships very picky about it my sister heather knows this because she has traveled with us my sister is my best friend but we also could not be more different we both are a weird mixture of different like characteristics of david and alexis so i love like watching the show with her um watching these two people go from you get murdered first (laughs) to you continually impress me is just the most beautiful, like not to be Alexis, but love that journey for them. Like I, it's so lovely. And the fact that it is so realistic because there are some moments where it is still, you get murdered first. Like there are still moments when David is going to freak out because Alexis is wearing a wedding dress for his (laughs) wedding. Like, but the most beautiful thing about that whole part of their dynamic is then it's over because that's what happens with siblings. Like, Oh my God, you're wearing a white dress to my wedding. And then it turns on its head to you continually impress me. Like it's this idea that that is how siblings really work. Like there are moments when you're like, Oh my God, I cannot believe you're doing this. Like I can't, you're driving me absolutely insane. And then in the next breath, you're like, I would go to war for you. Like you are my best friend. I love you more than anything. And watching, and I'm sure like, like, you know, we've talked about already. A lot of it is what Dan and Annie bring to it from their own obvious love for one another as people. But watching in those final few episodes, the absolute pride on David's face anytime Alexis does anything is so beautiful to me. Like when Alexis decides that she's going to go to New York on her own and the camera just gives you that little glimpse of David's reaction to it. And he is so proud of his sister. 
it is the most beautiful and grounded and real feeling thing. And I just, I adore them. I adore the decision to have Alexis be the person to walk him down the aisle. I adore the fact that she is so free with the I love yous. Like it makes me so happy. The fact that she immediately looks at him and is just like, hey, I love you. Like it's exactly what this family needs in their lives. And like Heather was saying with Alexis and Twyla, like you definitely get the sense that these two people are never going to not be a part of each other's lives like they were when they were younger. Like you get the sense that David and Patrick are going to go visit her in New York all the time. And you get the sense that she is going to come back and stay at their cute little cottage. Like you get that feeling and it's because it's so lived in and so real. And I just they're it to me like they are so many different relationships on Schitt's Creek can be said to be like the heart and soul of the show but like I always say to go from you get murdered first to you continuously impress me like is my favorite thing ever so just Johnny crying during (sighs) the ending like and how David goes you you can't get through anything without crying and you see his face it's just it's this whole thing it's how far they've come from not being not spending the, like longer than maybe a day maybe two mm-hmm. days together to being stuck together for months and learning just how much not only how much they love each other but how much the other loves each other one of my favorite moments between David and Alexis is when they go to um is her name Heather Heather's the cheese farm mm-hmm. <laughs> and He's talking about how he was always so nervous because when she wouldn't come home, he would worry. And her face Mm -hmm. is just like, wait, what? Like, you felt that about me? And you don't realize that as I feel like the younger sibling, but the older sibling, we've talked about this with the Americans, Mm -hmm. the older sibling is always worried. Like, I don't sleep properly until my brother's home. And he's a guy. Like, he's bigger than I am. Literally, he can handle himself. But it's just, it's that older sibling thing where you're like, you need them to be home and to be okay. And the way that that little moment conveys that mm-hmm. is everything. And I just, they're they're so special. <laughs> okay, I was enjoying listening to you guys talk about Shit's Creek so much that I forgot I have another pick that I have to do. <laughs> So, my final pick for platonic relationships, my number one choice of the year, was Lou and Nadia from Elite, my messy teen Spanish soap opera. (laughs) They are a disaster, but in the best ways. I love characters who start out hating each other and realize that they can take on the world a whole lot better together than they can apart. That is exactly who these two were. They have been rivals from the very beginning. They were the smartest two people in school. They also liked the same boy. And it meant they did not like each other. But finally this season, the cracks kind of started to come through. Neither was who the other thought they were. And in letting each other see more of who they really were, they teamed up. They decided that no, they weren't going to go with this thing, that they had to compete with each other for a scholarship that both of their future lives depended on they were going to find a way to do it together and they were going to take this next step in their lives together they were going to make sure that no one was messing with each with the other one that the other had the strength to push back against the terrible men in their lives (laughs) and that whatever they were going to do it was going to be 
with each other instead of fighting against each other and just the combination of their two energies because they could not be more different (laughs) it was the best thing in the world it was something that i had hoped for after season two and it was better than i could have ever imagined in season three (laughs) my um first choice is julie and the phantoms which which is literally their their band name uh Again, I cannot believe how much this show took over everything. But this this band, uh, I don't want to spoil because I want you guys, when you watch it, to to not be spoiled of what's actually happening. But this band of three boys and this girl, Julie Molina, they they love each other so much and at such a young age to be so inclusive and to have this much heart when the world is actually cruel for kids and no one really wants the best for anyone. It's more so no one even knows how to be expressive or you aren't very, like, you're not allowed to be who you are, I feel like, as kids. Or at least when we grow, grew up, it was much different, much different, much more different. But these kids these teenagers they genuinely love each other so much we have one of the band members is a gay man who his family did not accept so his band is his family and they would do anything for him they would go through hell and back for him uh one of the other members had a falling out with his family for other reasons again they all accept him they love him they and the way that they love Julie, this this girl that they met through these circumstances, the way they uplift each other, the way that they want each other to succeed in everything, and the way that they pick on each other is ridiculous. Like, it's all perfect because it's not just, oh my god, there's so much love, but there's, you're an idiot, but also, you're my idiot, and no one else is allowed to call you that, and this softness is so transparent especially with these boys which is I, I again back to kind of normal people we aren't we don't see boys being soft very often on tv and when we do they're mocked for it but on this show it is what it is these boys are soft they're gonna hold each other's hands when they get nervous like there there are so many beautiful little moments that when you look to you're just it's so inspiring to know that younger generations have this to look up to and be like, we can be like that. And nobody has to say anything. It's just, it's a big fat F you to toxic masculinity and all for it. All right. Well, now you have me going like, do I have time tomorrow to start this? So <laughs> finish it in one day because it's like 25 ep- uh, minutes and nine episodes. Well, that's very exciting because I like anything that's under a half hour. So that is another huge selling point for me. (laughs) That is all, folks. We will be back for part two to discuss romance and favorite episodes.